talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to More Like the Worst Wing, the podcast where here in 2023, we take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal classic, The West Wing, from a bit more leftist, socialist perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's two episodes that we're running together because Jesus (laughs) are Running Mates and Internal Displacement. They are in Season 7 of The West Wing as we bring this grand experiment to a close. Um, Yes. Uh, This this one, the first episode, Running Mates, uh, as the episode title implies, is all about Leo uh, with a little bit focused on Vinick's running mate. Uh, the uh, Ray Sullivan, haha. Sullivan, yes. I was gonna say, I know Brett Cullen is the actor. I <laughs> right. do not know the character. <laughs> Ray, Ray Sullivan is the fictional Vinick VP name. We get a little bit of him, but this is mostly about Leo, as this is preparing to lead us into the least consequential event on the electoral calendar: the vice presidential debate. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, and basically the only possible vice presidential debate that could have piqued anyone's non-sicko level interest was the Sarah Palin, um, right. Joe Biden, yes, Jesus whether Christ you, debate. Whether you were tuning in to see if she would completely fail to uh, pursue the English language halfway through, uh, or you were just a horny dad who was desperate yeah. for a pretty lady to look at. Uh, but either way, yeah, that's the only one. Uh, aside from that, like, we were talking about how presidential debates don't matter. Well, if, if we're talking about that, then vice presidential debates extra don't matter. Uh, and Toby even brings it up in the episode when he's, like, talking to Josh on the phone. And Josh is like, I'm worried about the VP debate. And Toby's like, it's the VP debate. It doesn't fucking matter. So... Basically, Leo spends time with the both kind of like a because fucking Ed with with everyone. Uh, Is that is a no no that's a new younger staffer. If you're thinking of the guy who's playing his opposition in the debates, oh, it's not Ed of Ed and Larry. No, no, that is a new younger. um, That is a new younger uh, guy from the Santos campaign. I was going to say he ends up getting some job in the Santos admin. He is not Ed or Larry, no. Wow, color me um, slightly racist, I guess. <laughs> Whoops. Um, anyway, so they're doing debate prep, and Leo is <laughs> Leo is basically, in the first scene, he's legitimately doing the Tracy Jordan um, Boys and Girls Club commercial where he's, like, standing stuck Line. I'm sorry, I have an erection. <laughs> Yeah, he's doing he's doing really, really bad, like bad for Leo, even like, you know, not that Leo's the best of the public speakers, but he's more than capable. We've seen him for six seasons before this and he's doing really, really poorly. And so you start to get the idea of like, oh, is he like senile? Is his age catching up to him or whatever? Uh, And spoilers, it basically ends up being this dumb sandbagging maneuver he does where he intentionally looks really, really bad during debate prep so that the Santos campaign will get scared, will go and leak to the press saying, like, hey, downplay the expectations. Like, he's, it's going to be a miracle if he doesn't fucking drool 
during tonight's debate, and then he could go out there and actually perform decently and and blow them all away, which is really dumb. So what to me it's just like John Spence, not John Spencer, Leo mm-hmm. invent invents this problem and then creates a solution to it that then is it's it's just the most West Wing thing possible. It's this circuitous mm-hmm. path through several dimensions of chess to be like, well, what if instead you just did something else with 25 minutes of screen time? Yes. Or, or days of the fictional campaign's yeah. time. Yeah. And like stressing out Josh and all this over a, a nothing problem because you just wanted to like, yeah. I don't know, ace the debate a little bit more. The one that doesn't matter. Because, because I said, Leo is just putting everybody, he's shining everyone on. For this whole time, and really freaking out Christian Chenoweth, and mm-hmm. I'd like we were talking about yeah. this before we started to record. It's like Christian Chenoweth, the the like the S tier people who are involved in this show are obviously Martin Sheen, obviously um, Allison Janney to mm-hmm. a certain degree, and Alan and Alda being, and Jimmy Smith at this point. <laughs> Alan Alda, Alan Alda definitely, and then if I'm being honest, it's like Christian Chenoweth, like she is like a fucking. Hugely successful Broadway superstar, mm-hmm. um, all these things, and she is relegated to this like chipper, Pass- yeah. passive background role that is both at once attempting to help Leo and being frustrated by Leo. Like, right? Well, I- and it's stupid because he's intentionally sandbagging this whole time, and he could do it the right way. But he's just being, like, annoying with Annabeth as, like, again, this is what the writers think flirting is. Yes. Like, just be, just be difficult with someone. Yo, and I'd, I'd almost, like, forgotten about the whole fake, quote-unquote, tension that exists there. Yes. But, A, that's also made up. It's, like, a made-up problem there, too. So yes. it's just these layers and layers of invented drama. Right. Yeah, it's it's real bad. And I get, like, on some level, A, that's the whole show. But B, we excuse it as long as you invent interesting drama. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, like, can Leo uh, clear the low bar he set for the least consequential event in electoral politics is not good drama. <laughs> and at, at the end so, of the day. Well, and also... This episode, there is a brief prelude to it with Martin Sheen giving a tribute to the now dead John Spencer, dead at airtime, yes. John Spencer. Yes. And it, right. he recorded, I think at this at this point, it's five more episodes that will mm. air before they actually run out of material with him. Right, so, and then kill off the character. Well, yeah. so it sets the... It sets a bit of a weird expectation where it's just like, oh shit, Leo is now struggling. Are we going is, to see him? Is he like, dying? Is is he going to die? Like right, right now. Like, right, because is he going to die? The VP debate. Is the debate going to like overtax him and his heart pops? And that's actually what I thought this whole episode. As I'm watching it, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop of like, oh fuck, this is the one where Leo dies. Well, no viewer, I was wrong, uh, <laughs> l- listener. Um, and Leo makes it through the whole episode fine, makes it through the debate fine. He's watching post-debate coverage in his hotel room. He's fine. Uh, so, but they're definitely also, it feels like they're trying to set up some health stuff. Uh, in the debate, he mentions that the most common outcome of a heart attack is, is 
you know, instant fatality, basically. And that by, you know, avoiding that outcome, he's he's basically fine now, is, is sort of his debate answer. But it sort of feels like epic foreshadowing of the next heart attack's not going to go that well. Yeah, there's... <sighs> It's it's a it's an interesting turn and I think credit to John Spencer himself like they he didn't know he was going to die shortly no like no and so them doing this as a um I think initially at least the writers are probably doing this as an extension of the like the changing of the guard type narrative sure here where at some point in their putative future they would anticipate this being a new source of drama now that they've you know, got something going on when in fact, if what Emma tells me is right, like they had fully intended Vinick to win the election. And then when John Correct. Spencer died, they were like, Oh, it, it changed we, their plans. Now we yeah. can't. Yeah. It would be way too unsympathetic if Santos has to deal with losing Leo and also losing the election. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> the original plan from my understanding is Vinick wins, but then offers Santos uh, a role like Secretary of State or something mm. like that in his administration, possibly a role for Leo as well. Uh, I don't know about that part, but I definitely knew that Santos was going to be offered something. So um, if they get to do like the Team of Rivals thing right, with the new which, admin. And spoilers, this is what ends up happening in reverse when Santos wins. He ends up offering Vinick Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. uh, to to then you know spirit of bipartisanship and team of rivals and let's all have a big West Wing jerk off about it. So I think just to close down talking about Leo, there is a moment where I think if the writers were a bit and producers, frankly, were a bit more skilled and deft, I guess is the word I'm looking for. There's a moment where Leo takes a question in prep, and I wrote it down. It's like he is too concise in his debate answer. Where it's just like they ask this question, he goes, "Yeah, it is wrong," and just stops talking. <laughs> right. Oh, it's about it's about the uh, International Criminal Court and how the uh, USA refuses to ratify slash will invade the Hague if any of our officials are ever charged with war crimes. Right. Anyway, and he just he just correctly is like, "Yeah, well, that's bad. You know, we shouldn't be like that." <laughs> and then just it just stops talking, and it's like, "No, I mean, technically, you're correct, but do you want to expand on that?" <laughs> So, so you get a flash of this, like, he's actually way more capable of this than he's letting on. But yeah. as the viewer, you are forced until, obviously, we're looking back in hindsight at this. As the mm -hmm. viewer, you're forced to take it on, on faith. Face yeah. Yeah. That he's that, actually not doing very well because you, you have Leo no indication sucks. otherwise. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just sucks now. He, he's lost it. He's lost the gift. He's like in Space Jam when the basketball players get the NBA ability sapped yeah. out of them by the aliens. <laughs> and and again, if, if the writers had been able to do a little bit more, um, I don't just be, be subtle about certain things, you could maybe see yeah. hints of it's it. It's way over the really. top, though. Yeah. It's just, it's too, it's too overly done. It's just like, oh, what's wrong with Leo? Like, does he have a brain amoeba? Like, <laughs> like it's, it's instantly obvious that something's very off with the man. So the only, I think the only scene that I really enjoyed in this particular episode was in this context, you have Stephen Root, Brett Cullen and Pat, uh, Patty Richardson together, <laughs> yes. Vinix campaign staff in a room together, joshing each other and talking about debate. 
prep, and they it is I don't know forty five seconds a minute. Yeah, uh, they, of they get time. like two two little thirty second bits basically. Uh, but yeah, they're they're, lo- awesome. they're loving it. They're loving it. They're loving life because they're hearing all this news about Leo being completely shit at debate, and they're buying into it hand over fist. Uh, I guess this is also part of the strategy in that it fucks with the opposition a little bit. Um, sure, but they're, they're like giving each other yeah. shit and like being yeah. real people and stuff. Yes. Yeah, it's they're just... like actual characters. They're not talking all like West Wingy necessarily. It, there, it's yeah, it's it's like very refreshing. <laughs> well, and so like I, I talked this through with Emma uh, earlier, and I was just like, I think ultimately, like the stable of writers and producers who put this shit together at this point are just the fanboy types and the mm-hmm. sort of establishment ghouls that we spend you know this entire mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. ragging on. But the emotion that they can muster to put on the page is contempt. And mm-hmm. so they clearly feel contempt for, like, the Republican staffers who mm-hmm. are, oh, just the biggest monsters in the world. And how dare they think? That's and like, not just, and, yeah. and surprise, it turns out that informs them writing them really convincingly. Like, it is somehow they make them feel the most human by feeling like they are the least human characters. Right. It's just a mindfuck <laughs> top to bottom. <laughs> Right, because, like, the liberals all have to be, like, secretly superheroes at the end of the day, but the Republicans can just be assholes. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, what So what there's no contradictions. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's no... There's no contradictions like they are when they're writing, like, the characters that have to be, quote-unquote, good, you know? They can just write an actual, like, operator type, you know, political operative type who's, you know, hard about it. Yeah, and, and they clearly have... There is a passion about it that is not present or visible in the rest of their writing. So I guess good for them putting these character actors to you. So it was actually really nice um, for like a whole two minutes. For sure. Uh, while we're while we're riffing on that, um, so the rest of the episode mostly deals with Matt at home. Matt Santos comes back to Texas to his home uh, to spend some time with his kids, to talk to the campaign. Uh, and work on strategy and, and do all the presidential stuff. And we get a lot more of Santos's home life. We get a lot of him and his kids spending time together <laughs> in a great little pre-COVID moment. Uh, as soon as he rolls up to his house, uh, like one kid runs up and is like, Daddy, kisses him on the picks him up, kisses him on the cheek. And the kid immediately like coughs or sneezes. He's like, oh, mommy says I have a cold. And he's like, okay, great. And he puts the kid down <laughs> and then like picks up the other kid, the daughter, and is like, hey, my beautiful little girl, how are you? And she's like, mommy says I'm sick too. It's like, okay, <laughs> fantastic. And it's so good. The, the first kid wipes his nose on his suit jacket. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Just Even a, it's adorable. Like, yeah, and then and then the daughter's just like coughing straight in his face. <laughs> so and the uh, <laughs> it's it's very good. And there is so there is also they take actually. And again, I will give credit to the people who put this shit together in this instance. There's a big media presence at Santos's house, obviously. Mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. the the journalists are Tom, following tons him. Of, like, tons of journos, tons of paparazzi and types. And yeah. there's a there's a um, a long shot, like a two not not even a two shot, like a like a fucking long shot of the family on the lawn from the perspective of what a photographer would be able to see from mm-hmm. the street. 
basically. Mm. And it's pretty innocuous. down to pick up her Yeah, kid, to right? like pick up their kids. Like, it's pretty mm-hmm. innocuous. You think of it as being like, oh, you know, they're just doing this thing and you see the whole family together. Fine. Right. And then, <laughs> when, later so, in the episode. Yeah, mid- yeah. Midway through the episode, they get approached by like Donner and a staffer and they're like, uh, guys, there's a story breaking with a photograph, and Santos is like, "Oh God, it must be me. What I do? Eat a hot dog wrong or something?" Yeah, and they're like, "Poor Pete Buttigieg." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and they're like, "No, sir, it's not you." And then they hand her the picture that is hopefully going to be the episode <laughs> thumbnail of a tabloid shot of Hottie Helen. Hottie you, Hel- you see Helen Santos's thong right up when she bent down to pick up her child. Because she's wearing, she's wearing jeans, like, that's okay. A, yeah. a, a woman wearing a thong in 2005 America? What? <laughs> if all the, while we're in the height of Cisco's The Thong Song popularity? Yeah, oh my, it's the most aughts scandal possible. And they, <laughs> they then take this to, like... And and uh, I wrote in the notes. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" It was like it was like Chekhov's panties. I saw them yes. in the first scene. <laughs> yes, it's set it's set up and payoff done perfectly. Uh, yeah, so th- it becomes like a thing. Although again, they kind of do the thing. I wish we would have seen some of like the talk show coverage. Remember when they had the fictional talk show with uh, Jay, the comedian guy, Jay uh, Moore. Jay Moore. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we would actually, like, see the fictional kind of discourse play out on the fictional talk show. I kind of wish we had that here. Because at one point, when Helen and Don are talking about it, and Helen's like, yeah, half the Sunday shows are saying, you know, was I too whorish or whatever. Like, I want to see that. I want to see those clips. Yeah. <laughs> to, make, because... to make the stakes feel real. Because otherwise they just kind of talk about it. And it's like, oh, it's a press scandal. But, like, it doesn't impact his numbers or anything like that. So, like, where's the stakes to it other than just, you know, Helen's personal embarrassment? Yeah. Well, and so they, they dig in on that quite a bit because Helen is then... Helen is mad this sure. whole episode. I think... Rightly so, uh, of course. <laughs> I think correctly so to a certain degree. We can talk about whether, like, I, what your expectations are. I guess it's privacy. sort of a wake-up call of, like, oh, shit, you know, we literally have zero private life anymore. You know, like, I think part of her was still hoping that there was a part of it that was sanctioned off. But no, like, the press is going to be hounding you at literally every second. Yeah, well, and, you know, we... I don't know. You would you would think they would have figured this out with the bed that they fucked to death. Sure. Like, but again, that's di- it's different from just like, oh my god, well, I, was you're on the trail. I was bending yeah. down to yeah, get yeah. my son. You yeah. know, not like, we were having sex in that bed, like, let's be fair. But like, I was just bending down to pick up my child, and now it's a sex scandal. Yeah, so they, and then obviously, like, the the content of the scandal and this within within the one character is fine but then we get like the like donna coming in and we actually talked again before we started recording Mm. we were talking about this so it's like donna comes in and starts trying to sympathize or empathize with her and but Mm -hmm. also like talking to her like a pr consultant right where she's like actually you know it proves you're very hip and sexy it's gonna look good with the 18 to 35 demo like yeah 
Whereas Helen is much more concerned with sort of this human angle on all this. And of course, you know, she's expressing concerns to Matt that, you know, he's not actually really spending time with the children. There's this little scene where he's trying to be on the phone while he's trying to like play with his daughter. And the daughter is like, uh, daddy's not really here and goes off to play video games with like the son instead. And Helen's like watching this all happen is like, oh God, parenting nightmare, you know, of like, you know, he just doesn't get any quality time with the children anymore. And like, sad to say, that's that's unfortunately going to be the reality of the situation. Yeah, like that's but, accurate. But we're playing up the human drama of it, of sort of kind of Helen coming to this realization of like, oh, right, I'm going to be married to the president, potentially. Yeah, and like the, the getting women to talk about women stuff... Is a, <laughs> obviously a fundamental flaw, like within the with West the, with, Wing, with it's the a male writer's problem. room. Yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, again, we we have seen this type of problem happen before. Abby and Jed have fought about the implications for their personal mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. when it comes to the campaign. <laughs> However, the, there is an both... obvious contrast. Right, they both sort of ultimately fall on this hard edge of like, eh, if our relationship has to take a hit for the sake of, of your political career, so be it. Uh, whereas Helen, I think, would not fall on that line uh, and is much more human and is much more like, hey, I just want us to be a family and happy. And like, you know, if it means you take a little bit of a his president, so be it. Whereas Abby is a much more of a, a of an operator type or is willing to kind of like go along with it, at least to a certain extent until their problems got really, really bad. Yeah, I think I mean, I think Abby is is a cold iron type of edge. And, right. And Helen is it, just hot, 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 right. hot. So. Right. Whereas, yeah, Abby's line to cross of like, oh, Jed, you've gone over the line was way further than Helen's yes. line. <laughs> well, and you and I noticed this in any... If, if a viewer is watching this critically it, with the opportunity to reflect and actually dig into the material, they can also probably draw that contrast. But again, the writers just skip straight, straight past it. Never mind right. that we have all these resources that they could theoretically use to explore this well, dynamic and exactly. make it interesting. They you, just have just Donna, like, uh, you have Donna talking to Helen and Donna could be like, hey... So, you know, I was there when Abby and the president were going through something like this, and here's how it happened. And, like, that would be a great little moment of you have this person who has the experience with the outgoing regime of, you know, a person in this unique circumstance of first lady marital problems. And and you have someone who's dealt with it, but they just, the writers, miss that opportunity. We will... I, I want to revisit that idea in the context of the next episode, but let's finish out uh, a little bit and talk about fucking work date with Will and Kate. Thank you. Thank Here. you. We were, I was just making sure we did not forget about Will and Kate. So um, this is what I was talking about like last episode. I was like, boy, wouldn't it have been nice if with some of these scenes with Will and Kate, they were like flirting a little bit and then, you know, her hit uh, asking him out to the wedding wouldn't have come like out of nowhere uh, and so maybe they messed up the episode order because now we get those scenes like they're they're flirting all day long, uh, even when she tells him, you know, everything I have to brief you on is classified. Like, it's very <laughs> cute. 
you know, the, the actors have decent chemistry. It's all working well. And Will finally, you know, you know, sacks up and he's like, uh, well, I was going to ask you out because we were going to hit World War Three. But uh, what if I just ask you out anyway? Ha ha. And it, it works. Uh, he gets a date with her. He does this cute little work date at work with candles, candles, points. Yeah, uh, he's, he gets a whole tablecloth, little setup. They have to eat from those crappy little White House containers, but he has plates. So, like, I'm saying he's getting a lot of points here. He's getting a lot, a lot of points. He's doing it well. Uh, Kate expresses interest in what he's eating, and he immediately offers it to her, which is major points. And then Will blows all of these points he's been accumulating by picking up a TV remote and saying, ah, now that we're settled in, let's watch the <laughs> vice presidential debate. That'll get you wet, right, lady? <laughs> so good. And then like, turns oh, it on this. and turns away from Kate and starts watching the television. <laughs> and there's... Oh, Will. Oh, Will. And, like, it's... There's a certain level of, like... I get it that all these people are the same like, type what? of sicko. Sure. And but, you can but see their, Kate giving him their, the eyes. Like It's their first date. I know. And you're going to turn <laughs> the fucking TV on, my dude? I know. It's Like, I, I, get, know. I get it. They're all the kind of sickos who would want to watch the VT, VP debate. It's like their Super Bowl or whatever. But, like, I'd watch the girl, bro. That's all I'm saying. Like, or, like, you... And, or you can talk ult- to her. Or- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like- there's, there's so much of it where it's... You <sighs> hear these characters in other contexts express the desire to experience a non-workplace a, a normal, life. A normal romantic evening. And yet, Absolutely. And yet, Constantly. And yet, you cannot. No. Like, here's your opportunity. Like, that's the worst part. He's nine-tenths of the way there. If he just doesn't turn on the TV and they just talk over the dinner like normal adults would do on a date. Like, he's golden. He's in, like, fucking Flynn. Like, oh. It's just, it's so upsetting to watch a bag fumble. So, like, oh. And And because it's TV, it's not actually a fumble and they'll end up together anyway. And that's frustrating in its own way, too. (laughs) (laughs) It should be a fumble. She should not. She should be like going back and telling DJ. Yeah. And he wanted to watch the debate the whole time. I thought he was just going to put it on for like a minute. He watched the whole thing. The whole debate. <laughs> the yeah. whole thing. Oh my god, girl. <laughs> girl. You gotta find yourself a man who respects you. Anyway, speaking of men who respect people, the next episode starts with Danny, Danny. Cannon returning to relevance. So let's Danny's take a brief back. break here and we can okay. dive in on that fucking disaster next. <laughs> So, for the second episode, it's entitled Internal Displacement, and I'm going to say it straight up up front. There is some sort of big international relations crisis Mm -hmm. happening here, and I, A, have no idea what's (laughs) going on, and don't fucking care. It is some knock-on to the Mr. Frost arc where the Kazakhstan 
Yeah, but we're so beyond that. now spooled out. <laughs> we're so yeah. beyond that at this point. Now it's about France and Germany selling arms to China is sort of the main foreign policy. Because That's China the- is going to go to war with over Kazakhstan in Kazakhstan exactly yeah because of the oil deal precisely so it's all convoluted and stupid um but the uh, uh, the main thing I glommed onto is this arms sale thing which leads us to uh we get the French ambassador who is the most who is just we oui, oui. we the most French ever uh, and we love him and we have no choice but to stand. And then we also get the Chinese ambassador who thankfully the show does not go full like, oh, Mickey Rooney style with <laughs> thank, thank fuck. They actually, he's, he's portrayed, because, a, holy he's shit. portrayed yeah. as much more just like a normal upper class Chinese guy kind of thing. But he rules because he basically comes in and schools the fuck out of CJ, gets everything he wants, and then leaves on this note of like, oh, you Americans, you crushed communism and set up capitalism, yes? You always tell us that free markets equals liberty, and yet you were trying to encroach on our market where we get arms from France and Germany. Well, I just have to say, this is all very funny. And thank you for the lesson. And then just peace and pieces out. It's great. Basically calling out in a, and the way that I like, uh, the the reason I like this is because it's in a language that the viewers of this show have no choice but to understand. Mm -hmm. It is put within the idiom of the West Wing here, Mm -hmm. but it's basically just a, a, pinpoint accurate critique of american protectionism and market manipulation (laughs) and market manipulation which is the ultimate contradiction in frankly global financial capitalism yeah and this like oh free market solves all uh don't mind us over here fucking with the market though (laughs) he also he says his initial reaction to being contacted after the french and german ambassadors is just this deadpan like the Europeans pretend to a significance that they no longer possess. Oh my god. It's like, I could feel fucking, his titanium balls drop dude, in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> dude, Just like, like that is a legitimate mic drop. Yeah, unlike anything it, that an American it, person it's, could it's do. It's great because like said in the in the context of 2005, it's like a wink wink, like we're the only ones that matter here, right, America? You and me, China <laughs> and America. But then like 20 years later, it's gonna be like, oh, only China matters, actually. <laughs> yeah, oops. <laughs> oops, this guy was right. This guy was so right. Oh, so I love all that. Uh, that's the most we're going to talk about the foreign policy stuff. Because who fucking cares? Nothing's going to happen. It's a bunch of bullshit. We don't even get sit room stuff. Like at least the sit room is interesting to me because there's the potential that they're planning World War Three in there. But no, we don't get that. Um, so instead, the bulk of the rest of the episode is focused on uh, which daughter is this? This is the oldest daughter, right? This well, is the oldest daughter, Liz. Liz is Liz's husband, Doug, who we have met before, yeah? Yes. Um, yep, way back, I think, in season three? Yeah, we met him when he was running for the office, uh, or Liz was, or something like that. Anyway, point B, it was during, like, the election or something like that. Anyway, he's fucking the nanny, <laughs> and, and it's, <laughs> it's a problem. So, uh, Danny Kincannon reaches out and mm-hmm. invites CJ to dinner. Yes. In the very opening of the show. Presumably then, just for dinner. Uh, but this this ends up coming out. 
Um, and it has it has been long enough that I do not remember the terms under which CJ and Danny parted. Um, I don't. Good I, I question. I don't. Them. I don't either. I want to say it was amicable, but that could easily be wrong. I think they might have had a big fight or something like that. Over probably it, over a story or his willingness to cover the president's MS or something. Something like that. It's been a while, and so finally, Danny's. Danny's back and he's trying to woo CJ basically and CJ now that she's chief of staff is even more inaccessible to Danny can't even like complete a meal with him uh, is incredibly rude to the waitress which is oh my a, god yeah of what course the fuck? like the mark of a complete asshole um, always, always be nice to the waiters and waitresses, to folks. Any service people. It is. Thank it you. is the mark of true class of how you treat people who are uh, quite literally like beneath you in the pecking order, and especially at the CJ and Danny level. Uh, this is even more so enforced than like you know you at the Sunnies or whatnot. But the point being, treat your wait staff okay. Yeah. So she's just a complete prick. She's super distracted the whole time. She literally says, "I can't relax. Relaxing makes me nervous," uh, which is just like, "Oh boy, uh, honey, you need you need a fucking vacation." <laughs> yeah, and so much therapy and like. A uh, a d uh, d sensory you know a sensory deprivation chamber and like some LSD and some guided meditation yeah, a lot of drugs um, something like that but anyway they, yeah and so. they, they they talk and Danny brings up this question about Doug Weston having an affair and I gotta say who fucking cares this. I maybe in t- I don't I don't remember how this would have felt in 2006 when this was filmed. It is the most distant and milk toast scandal. Right. And they think it's going to affect the actual like presidential campaign that like a son a son-in-law of the outgoing president is having an affair. Like a heterosexual the, and still the needle, living literally nothing. affair. <laughs> like it's it's not a dead boy right. situation it's, either. It's yeah, it's not a, a live boy or a dead girl. It's <laughs> yeah. just it's just the live girl. Like these are the these are the ones like if yeah, okay, if he was like vice president or something like that, this would be a fucking problem. But like he's nothing. Or a direct relation. Yeah. I wanna say, like even yeah, a direct if it's, relation. If it's maybe. the president's son. Sure, then yeah, that's a bit, it's a bit different. It becomes like a Hunter Biden thing. Um, but yeah, like he's, he's an in-law. It's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> but they treat it and they have to treat it like it's the end of the world, apparently. Well, because they, they need the, they need to use it as a wedge to, for whatever reason, somehow get the president back on screen. I'm right. The okay. Rest- Sorry, real quick. <laughs> go for it. This no, brings up a great it. point. These whole two episodes have this weird energy about them, like the seasons of Arrested Development where they couldn't get the whole cast together. In the first one, why don't we ever see Vinick? We only see his VP and the and the two staffers. In this one, and like in the first one, we don't see like Bartlett or or at all. And now in this one, we finally get Bartlett, but it's for like three minutes. It, it all just, it feels, the energy's off. It's weird. So this was my, my kind of the continuity from the last episode that I mentioned in the last segment of being like, they, there is no sense of 
like relationship with a timeline. Right. Here they break with the administration entirely at this point. The Bartlett administration is not even a lame duck at this point. They are several months remaining to them in their yeah. in his second yeah. term. They're in a holding yet, pattern. And yet all of this shit is just like all the work that CJ puts in in this episode, any connection to the administration via the Donna Helen drama from the last episode, it's just non-existent. It's like seen through a fog, kind of. And it's awful. It's so fucking stupid because, frankly, the fi- like when we finally see Martin Sheen again mm-hmm. at the end of the second episode, he's basically being a pissy little like child about... All the work that CJ is doing on his behalf, yeah, that he doesn't want, yeah. Like, like we used I, to, we used to see him in the sit room, in the meetings, and all this. Yeah, it's so weird for him to basically just get this cameo at the end. It's like the way they wanted to treat the show originally before they got Sheen, where like we never really saw the president, and it was literally just going to be about his staffers, and he would be like this sort of Maris esque presence where we never see him directly. We just kind of deal with, like, his his wake, as it were. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of how this feels. We're just, like, we get we get after effects of the president's presence, where we used to actually, like, have him there. Well, and they, there's, again, there's a line in this, you know, this back and forth between them at the end of the episode, where it's like, is this, he asks, CJ says, or actually one of them asks the other, I can't even fucking remember. He says, is this more about, you know, the campaign or the World War III thing? Or is it more about you getting, quote, kicked out of this building? Okay, so first of all, you're not getting kicked out. You're term limited. It was inevitable that you were not going to be in this building anymore. Second of all, you are not out of the building yet. No. You still hold the nuclear codes. Yeah. And are the commander in chief. Yeah. If, so this this international bullshit winds down to being like a thing about humanitarian intervention in Sudan. Right. Like, okay, yeah, there's if, that whole angle if to you're, it too. If you're so goddamn upset about it, why don't you something. fucking do something? Right. And instead it, it's so that's that's weird too, because the show's angle on it I think the show ultimately takes the quote unquote like right position where Basically, this, uh, what's his name, Scotty or Smitty or whatever, this fucking guy comes in and is like, I've seen the horrors of Sudan, CJ, and, you know, 300,000 people carry dead. They carried dead babies around. Right, you know, Africa genocide horror shit, you know, like awful, awful, awful shit. But then CJ comes back at him with like, and what? What do you want? American boots on the ground being quote unquote peacekeepers, aka Iraq War 2.0. And I, I want to say CJ's right. Yes, American imperialism's not going to help. But then the guys kind of comes back of like, no, we just want help to stop the genocide. Is it basically the show doesn't? The, I don't know. The show's taking a weird angle on it where I kind of agree with both both sides of it. Well. And frankly, this is the, this is, you know, anti-interventionism is a difficult position to hold It's weird for CJ as the White House Chief of Staff to advocate for it. (laughs) Yeah, because, because that, and, and if I'm being honest, like that, 
has been seeded already on the right. ground of every every right. American institution and every administration ever in the history of the thing are firmly pro-interventionist. Pro, right, like so that's like, what I'm saying. As Iraq war in the actual world is happening, these these lines are coming out of CJ's mouth. It, it feels weird. And, you know, it's, I mean, I, I believe that it is a valid... Um, kind of dialectic to engage with yes. the concept, this concept of world policing and interventionism and imperialism, as opposed to humanitarian assistance and blah blah blah. Like, sure, we, we all know these things are clouded by a by capitalism, right, and, right, and the IMF and all this stuff. But like, there is a point where, look. CJ, you and the president sit on these vast levers of power. Yeah, you can do something. You, you can, and I think it's it's also in this specific case they are going down this rabbit hole. And God, I I said we wouldn't fucking talk about this, but they're they're going down this rabbit hole of contacting these ambassadors and doing mm-hmm. these kind of back channel things to get sanctions and like do mm-hmm. economic deals. It's like you can figure out some way to do whatever you want. It's a Dick Cheney situation here where it's like you can just create the reality right you don't have to be accountable or like have any sort of analysis just go forth and do stuff right yeah but no this this is the bartlett white house they have to analyze it 10 ways to sunday and run seven polls and you know all that good stuff (laughs) eventually seed the seed the correctness to the Chinese, which is right. just a delicious metaphor at this yep. point. In yeah, exactly. And why China <laughs> will dominate the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Hooray. So uh, the episode kind of wraps up neatly in a bow with Danny and CJ going back to the restaurant they were at at the beginning of the episode. Uh, the waitress uh, gets a nice little own in on CJ for being snippy earlier, where she's for like, being "Don't, a don't huge even, bitch earlier." Yeah, she's like, "Don't even read the specials to me. I don't have time. Just give it to me. I, I, I'm a reader." And like, and so she's like, "Oh, would you like to hear about dessert, or should I just let you read about it?" And just like, it's good. It's so good. Uh, and <sighs> Daddy has to be like, "Oh, she fucking owned you," uh, yeah, but then right. yeah. Uh, clearly, Danny is working himself up to pop the question at the end of the episode. Here, he's you know he's he's saying he clears the table. He's talking about how like he's thought about this for a while and blah blah blah. And right before he can, CJ gets paged with something very important uh, that she <laughs> she can't tell Danny about and has to run to the sit room. And Kate informs her of a nuclear meltdown. And she's like, oh, my God, in fucking Kazakhstan or Russia and somewhere. No, in Santa Clara, California. <laughs> so Emma Emma has fond recollections of this episode just because of the one line that Danny says. He says, why don't if you're getting pushed off the cliff and I'm about to fall off the cliff, why don't we hold hands on the way down? It's not a bad line, but it's. It's schlocky and just like... Uh, it only works we, because Timothy Busfeld has those sweet baby blue <laughs> eyes and he could tell me anything while looking at me with those. <laughs> so my mother-in-law uh, went on dates with him 30, 40 years ago or whatever <laughs> and she she claims to this day that he's just a real jerk. Oh. Apparently he did not treat her very well or as well as he does CJ. What a shame. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, yeah. I don't so know. the hopefully those crazy kids will make it. I I'm always rooting for the crazy kids to make it in these kinds of shows. Even Will and Kate, even though he should have fumbled her. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, 
Go ahead. Well, we get the the Doug situation. Uh, we we abandoned this line of oh, thought because right. we were just fucking oh, right. riffing here. Yeah, but like, sure. The, Let's go the back Doug to that situation. I like when Kate and CJ talk about it. And then yes. and Kate's just like real real about the whole thing about like bro is she hot? <laughs> it's like uh, she's twenty she's twenty six. Oh, she doesn't even have to be, I guess. <laughs> Kate Kate's really Jesus. Kate, Kate's Kate says some terrible things, but like mm-hmm. to be fair, she's like NSA chief. You know, like she knows. <laughs> yeah, she 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 can be real. She can be real with you. Um, so like the Doug thing, basically this leads to a very awkward set of interactions between CJ and the president where CJ is lying to him. Right. Actively. Right. Because as Will says, what's what's worse, having to tell the president that his son-in-law is having an affair or doing that and then being wrong about it? So she's she has to kind of carefully hedge this information until she's 100% sure. Uh, and yeah, it leads to this awkwardness. Well, and it turns out she's 100% correct because she calls Doug in. Doug basically admits to it. Yep. And then Liz also comes in, admits to her being aware of it. Yes. And being like, marriage is complicated. I need my dad to help my husband stay elected. Right. And... Goes full Hillary Clinton, like Lady Macbeth shit of just like, yeah, fuck it. He's fucking the nanny. I don't give a shit. We're fucking, we're power players, bro. Yeah, as long as that sweet, like, Boston Dynamics money keeps flooding into the campaign, like, I'll he, do whatever. He, he, like, can, he, he can, can fuck, fuck whoever, whoever he wants. wants. Yeah, exactly. He, he can fuck the dog robot. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but it's, and it, it's very, like, it's very icky. And frankly, I'm glad that Allison Janney is a talented actress because she's sort of, you can understand via her conveyance of these things that she right. is deeply distressed yes. and getting fucked up by having to do all these things. Yeah. I think this leads to her thing at the end where she's just like, I'm turning into the kind of person I don't want to become. Uh, so it's good for her and Danny that there's like light at the end of the tunnel here. And there's oh, in a few months, she'll be fucking free of all this because yeah, yeah. It, it definitely seems like her character is basically like, I don't know, going down the dark side for lack of a better metaphor. Now, to again, to their credit, the show spends time telling us why that should be the case instead of just being like, oh, now Toby's a jerk. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, remember when Toby was like yeah. the good guy? No, now he's Yeah, not. like at least you understand that it's the stressors of her incredibly stressful job and situation and whatnot that is turning CJ's character from the sort of like bubbly, fun press secretary that we all loved and enjoyed uh, like you and I would always, you know, talk about how CJ's oh, bits yeah, were the best great. bits in the early years of the show, uh, because she was more of a bubbly, fun, sort of lighthearted character for the most part. And now the, you know, in the how many months has she been fictionally doing the job at this point? Like six under more less. I think it's probably six to nine months because it would have been yeah. that long that they would have started or they would have uh, appointed Leo as VP. Right. Um, so yeah, that, so she's been doing the, yeah, the chief of staff job for, I don't know, under a year, but we'll say over six months. Uh, and yeah, it's like, it's hitting her fucking hard, but at least, at least again, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. 
And so, so we end on the nuclear accident, which is going to obviously play a big deal going forward, uh, particularly for one of the candidates who said that nuclear is safe. Which it is, and we'll talk more about this next week, because boy, do I have some fucking words oh, we about get, nuclear power. We will get into all that, but uh, <laughs> that's, that is not the purview of these couple episodes. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, we mentioned all the ambassadors. Anything we miss? No. Um, I think we got yeah, most of it. Helen, yeah, we're fine. Okay, so uh, thanks cool. as always, <laughs> listeners, for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. We always appreciate your feedback in either one of our threads or if you found the show another way, uh, you could always email the show like that one listener did uh, that we got to read on the last episode. Yeah, at- shout out to that listener. Yeah, shout out to you, Guy. <laughs> Uh, or lady, or gender non-conforming, yeah, vady, what vady ha- and gentle what, them. What have you? Uh, <laughs> you could always email the show if you'd like at theworstwing69 at gmail dot com. Nice, which is always nice. Uh, and uh, it's been it's been rough out here in the news lately. Uh, we've had a lot of shootings. Uh, the whole murder of Jordan Neely just recently occurred. So. Uh, if things seem worse, it's really, I don't know. I wish I had more profound words, but shit's rough out there, guys. And stay safe. Um, and you, you personally can do an immense amount of good in your immediate orbit. Yes. And that's really what I cling to these days. There are structural problems that you have no influence over, but, you know, it starts with a spark. And if you can do that with people you love or your community or family, not only is it incumbent upon you, it is probably like the best possible way forward. Mm. Well, well said. So stay safe out there, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Worst Wing. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All the money you asked for, but don't ask me to come on along.